0: everyone welcome to the carolina weather group we're happy to have you this evening and tonight we have with us rachel cross and emily Linhart, uh both students at oklahoma university of oklahoma ou for uh, all you boomer sooner fans out there and we know uh that ou is one of the big weather schools there is here in the united states and so we're excited to have emily and rachel on to talk about uh, maybe why they chose to go to oklahoma and I uh, kind of pick their brains about uh, what it's like there in Norman. We're also going to talk about some research they've been doing with social media and weather and uh, the verbiage and, and how you better understand weather. So we're going to dive into that as well. So kind of a two-parter tonight. So uh, Emily and Rachel, uh, welcome to the show. We have no rundown, no format. This <laughs> is going to be kind of an open discussion tonight. Uh, we want it to be fun. And so uh, our first question to you all Uh, which is one that we always ask every weather guest that we have here is, how did you get caught up in this weather world? When did you know uh, you wanted to go into school and study meteorology?
1: Hi, I'm Rachel. Um, I'm currently a, I guess, incoming PhD student at the University of Oklahoma. And I got into weather when I was three or four years old. Um, That's when I remember experiencing my first really severe storm. I think there was a um, funnel over my house. I remember hearing the sirens, my mom rushing me to the bathroom and I was terrified but after the event, my mom pulled me aside and, like, got these library books about storms and read them to me, and I was fascinated by it. And then I just wanted to be a storm chaser ever since, and that evolved into a love of mathematics and, like, dynamics. And just combining those two passions together led me to pursuing a degree in meteorology, especially at the University of Oklahoma. That's my story.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess for me... Um... I didn't have like one, you know, severe weather event. I feel like a lot of people at OU, you know, remember their first tornado or first severe storm that got them into weather. But um, I always just thought it was like really interesting when I was growing up. I remember I would have this like dry erase board in my room and I would like write out the forecast, like draw the little <laughs> symbols on it every week. Um, and I really just loved like math and science in high school and thought the weather was really interesting. So decided to go for it, and go for meteorology in undergrad.
3: Um, you guys have a a very interesting study on words of estimative probability. And I know I'm going to bungle that phrase at some point during this show, but it's really cool, really interesting, um, before we get too deep into it, since I've, I've already mentioned the, that phrase, what are words of estimated probability?
1: Yeah, so words of estimated probability, if you want to just acronym it, it's WEPs. That's what we've been calling them. So if you want to say that, that's fine too. Um, there are things that you use more often than you probably think. Um, there are words like likely or might or chance. So you could just say, it's likely that I'll take a nap after this or something like that. Likely would be your word of estimated probability.
3: I'm happy to stick with WEPs. That's, that's far. as. <laughs> Remember and say So, um, going through this study, can you tell us a little bit how you structured it? I know there are three core pieces. Uh, can you tell us about those three? Uh,
2: we came into this study uh, working with uh, Joe or Dr. Ripberger, and he showed us uh, results from their 2018 weather survey, which I think we talked about in the paper um, where they tested these different, you know, WEPs and asked people to assign a number percentage to each one of them in a severe weather context. So Uh, we knew that he wanted to, you know, look at how those words were used in Twitter messages. And so we started looking through um, almost (laughs) 9000 tweets from different weather forecast offices, um, expecting to, you know, see how they use those kinds of words um, and phrases. And so then after that, you know, we realized that they were using a lot more vague of terms. And so we, you know, went through all those tweets and found the most common uh, WEPs that we found um, and ended up including those in the 2019 survey. Um, so that we could see, you know, how people interpreted these words that we were seeing pretty often in all of those Twitter messages.
3: In the process of doing that, one of the databases that y'all sort uh looked through, as you just mentioned, was the CRCM Severe Weather and Social Media Data Collection Program which sounds really interesting. Um, I hadn't heard of it before today as I was reading through your paper. How does that program work? Um, and, and how can we access that as everyday people?
1: <laughs> I think that's something that Joe is in charge of. Um, I believe you can access it, I think, through the CRCM page. Um, I don't have the website, like, uh, I don't know it off the top of my head, but if you type in like, oh, you CRCM, I'm sure there's a link to it on that page. Cause I know he puts up, a really nice spreadsheet and really, really pretty visuals of some of the um, results of some of the um, weather survey um, information that they get. So they can like co-locate it by like region and by like population count. And so you can kind of see how people have responded to these different questions that they've asked over the course of multiple years. I know that's something he was putting together as of two years ago. Um, since we went off to our own like master's thesis after that, we haven't been as much in touch with him, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty well established by now. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen him use it a couple times in the past. Yeah.
3: One of the things that really caught my eye in this paper right off the bat, I think it, it might've been in the first page. It was a concept that I hadn't heard of before, severity bias. Um, I thought that was, that was fascinating and very applicable, um, amongst, uh, Joe Schmo out in public as he's reading through, um, maybe a tweet from the NWS or other, um, outgoing forecasts that talk about probabilities or words of estimated probability. of um, probability, what, what is severity bias and how is that affecting our uh, decision making when it comes to WEP?
2: So I think that was um, mostly referencing, it's been a while since we wrote that part of the paper honestly, <laughs> um, but you know that, um, trying to think how to say this, if you have a better way just interrupt me, okay. but um, <laughs> I guess just thinking about those terms are those words of estimated probability that we use, um, in terms of, you know, the severity of what you're trying to communicate. Um, those surveys that went out, um, to see how people were interpreting these words, um, tested a difference between, um, you know, if people would associate that word with a severe thunderstorm or a tornado, and we didn't see a lot of difference between, um, in the results between both of those two options. So
1: that if you have something that's very severe in terms of risk and like the impacts of the event, so something versus like, you know, a hurricane versus like some light showers and you can go, mm-hmm. you know, still walk outside and um, people are more apt to um, put a higher number mm-hmm. with the more severe event, even if it's not as likely to occur as the less um, severe event. So it's the idea that you wanna put something bigger to a more impactful event,
0: even though it's less likely to occur. So it's a severity bias. Mm-hmm. What would you think the findings would what what are the findings from it?
2: You know the big thing we saw in uh, that analysis of the Twitter messages was that yeah. uh, most of the time, you know in the messages we looked at, these wFOs are um, communicating severe weather probability yeah. using pretty vague terms. Um so I think yeah. we had a chart in there where you know, you saw that the most common one was pro was it probably right? a uh, possible possible my gosh, sorry <laughs> it was possible yeah. um in other words, like might. Um, you know, might happen, there's a chance of this. Um, And so, you know, we really didn't see them using very descript WEPs to communicate severe weather probability. And we certainly didn't see them using many uh, numerical estimates of probability either.
1: Yeah, because a lot of past work, not necessarily in the meteorological field, but, you know, perhaps with like the CIA or, you know, medical institutions, they do this kind of research as well because they also communicate probability, like for medication, a probability of a certain side effect that occurs and that's also very important that's also where a lot of severity bias comes into play because you know if you have a more severe side effect people might you know rank or mentally rank that particular probability higher because they don't want that side effect to occur Um, but they do a lot of work and they found that the best way to communicate probability is using both words and numbers together so saying like it's likely 50 percent chance that i will take a nap later that's the best way to communicate probability Uh, Because words alone can be pretty vague because my definition of likely is going to be different than your definition and it's going to be different than someone listening to this later on. Um, So we found that out of all 9,000 tweets that we looked at, only three tweets communicated probability using this combination. So not only are WFOs using very vague words, they're not communicating in the best way as past studies have shown. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, the uh, the recent TikTok trend of like probability of precipitation kind of also goes into that. Everybody's got a a different idea of what that means. Um, So with this this finding and you only three tweets from from weather forecast offices, um, has this information been presented to the weather service or, um, you know, and if it has what what was their comments or did they have any or anything like that?
2: Yeah, so we've met with a couple of groups um, from different, I guess, weather service regions and different offices um, to kind of talk about this. I know we've talked about it at AMS, too, and we're able to talk to some uh, forecasters there, but I think the response has been pretty positive. I remember a lot of yeah. people we've talked to have, you know, I don't know the outcome as of now, but at least in the moment when we were talking about it, they seemed really enthusiastic about, you know, trying to start making some of these changes either in terms of, you know, trying to have forecasters use more this like specific words, or I think we've even talked to some about, you know, how they thought about the idea of like developing a list and associating, you know, certain words with certain percentages and starting to, um, you know, implement that change. So from the people we've talked to, um, it's been pretty encouraging that people have seem to want to make that change in how they communicate.
1: Yeah, I think we've given at least three or four like seminars to different collections of weather forecast offices so like the biggest um responses come from the southeast region especially they reached out and Mm -hmm. we had like a ton of their offices join in and I think they're the ones who ended up developing an actual document for their weather services and um, having some sort of list and kind of assigning like numbers to that and just trying to use some of the words that we found were better or more at least concisely interpreted by the public in their language
3: I think that's, that's fascinating, A, how the Southeast has been the the biggest um, advocate for that amongst the WFOs, um, but also how these WEPs relate to numerical probabilities, and there I go, using the word probability. Um, I don't know if this is y'all's graph, I don't think it is, but I remember it catching my eye about a year ago, probably even more than that now, with COVID, time just kind of slips by. Um, yeah this was always one of my favorite charts and if this looks totally out of place you're welcome to just say no this is stupid and we'll cut it out um but i think this is fascinating i'm sure this was generated by some survey i have no background on this whatsoever but it's fascinating to see how people perceive different words of estimated probability uh, as different probability different percentages um and there's some very wide ranges on here uh, clearly everyone people don't uh, interpret uh almost certainly or we believe in uh, nearly the same way i don't know those, those words weren't necessarily the ones that y'all tested um but it, it just goes to show that wow uh, it, it's really easy to guess these wrong
1: <laughs> yeah One thing that would be interesting to continue off of this study, um, if we had like infinite funding and time, um, (laughs) would be to take it a step further and see what these percentages people assign actually mean. Mm Because the ideal response from people isn't just a number in their head, it's a certain action. And like, Mm it would also be interesting to know, like, well, what threshold incites some sort of um, protective action for them and their family and their property? Because that's, you know, kind of what we're hoping to get at. If we're like forecasting for a tornado, well, we want to
0: use the language that's going to incite the right response, hopefully
3: right well, that would be
0: fascinating it, and it's it's curious because with facets you know coming down the road at some point in the ever-changing probability of where it's where may go so that that that's pretty pretty cool to see how that will link up uh with the words
1: yeah one of the main motivations for this work too because i mean a lot of the weather service offices are going to be moving towards a more probabilistic forecast rather than just like you know a yes no or perhaps even like one zero kind of system yeah
4: so I know that y'all did not specifically introduce the SPC um, convective outlook into your study because there were, you know, there, there is a methodology to reaching those, but when people hear marginal, it's almost like, you know, it's dismissed and marginal days can often be our most busy days. Mm-hmm. Those can be, those can be very bad days. Um, it's just that the chances were low, that the predictability was low and um, I see, I have started to see kind of a move towards like level one of five, but there's not a lot of people who use the SPC, um, you know, the, the the percentages behind that. Do you think that that would be something that would be a, a better um, or perhaps more effective uh, communication approach going forward, thinking about the probabilities there versus the, the categorical risks?
0: There are
1: two things that come to mind um, initially. And one is, very right in thinking that like marginal risk for certain areas typically are their busiest days compared to say like the central plains. Because a marginal in like Oklahoma, everyone's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's cool. But if you have a marginal somewhere like the Northeast, that's like, that's a lot, because they perhaps don't really get that. So marginals, like that marginal risk is very dependent on your location and what that means. So one, it's dependent on location, and two, in terms of the probabilities, a lot of those probability numbers are very low. So usually they're not above 50%. And so if you give someone a probability that's lower than 50%, they're probably going to think, oh, well, I got like a one in five chance of it happening. I, that's fine. I don't have to change my plans. I don't have to get prepared or get ready. Because um, their percentages are not just probability. It's also based off of like a spatial probability as well, as well as like, you know, to, not this temporal, but um, just probability of chance along with a spatial probability as well. So it's a little bit different Um, So I'm not sure just using the raw um, probability numbers or those percentages with SBC would be necessarily beneficial, but I know there has been research into how best to involve the SBC outlooks and how to communicate that. In fact, there's another guy at the CRCM, Sean Ertz. I would highly recommend looking at his master's thesis and all his upcoming work for his PhD, because he's kind of delving into that regional aspect of the SBC outlooks.
0: I've, I've always told people, they ask about the weather community and I was like, you know, Obviously we put a lot into forecasting, but with the recent rise of social media and all the different platforms, you almost have to put as much into communicating as you actually have to do into forecasting for, for people Mm -hmm. to, to kind of grasp that. And so it's, you know it's almost like a 50 fifty toss up you know <laughs> I don't want to cheat one because of the other, but uh, they're both so so important to to what we do. so we appreciate the work uh, you all have been doing and uh, like Jared said it's definitely uh all it's good to look at and see where we can better communicate those risks, especially here in the Carolinas in the southeast like Jared alluded to you know marginal and slight days are like enhanced and high days for you all out there in the plains because that seems to be the days that we're the most busiest so. Yeah. you know, Free publicity here for <laughs> OU uh, for any student uh, who is considering meteorology and just doesn't really have an idea where they want to go yet. Again, you get to
1: see a lot of cool weather. You kind of get a little bit of everything and you don't always know when it's going to happen because one day you're going to get 30 degree weather and next day you're going to get 90 degrees. So you're always on your toes. Um, but in terms of the facilities, you get to be right next to the National Weather Service. So if you're interested in forecasting, you get to know forecasters. they let you walk in like with the SPC. You just email them and you they will let you just kind of sit in on one of their work shifts. So you can see what that's like. If it's something you'd be interested in, interested in they have workshops. You can use the actual AWIP software outside of like a pathways program. So you just get to go for four hours on one weekday and play around with it. And they'll give you like a fun tornado case to even put out your first real, but kind of fake warning. You get the whole printout and everything. Um, it's a really great program the faculty's fantastic the professors are all super nice and friendly and I mean I'm partial to the grad student body because that's what <laughs> I'm in now but I feel like you it's really easy to find friends too that's the biggest thing for incoming freshmen you kind of walk into a sea of like 5,000 plus new people and it's a little intimidating and with the weather community it's really tight-knit so it's a really good place to be
2: you know, Norman is close to, you know, more in Oklahoma City. So kind of thinking from that perspective, like there is stuff to do here, even though I know some people feel like, you know, Oklahoma's <laughs> middle of nowhere. We do have a few things to do. Um, university is, you know, big, but not, you know, super overwhelming, especially like Rachel said, once you get into meteorology, like, you know, we all pretty much know each other. So that makes the university feel a lot smaller. I guess also in terms of research, you know, I feel like a lot of people associate OU with severe weather, which is true, because a lot of severe weather research happens here. Um, But we have a lot of faculty doing a lot of different things, you know, climate research, I do like aerosol stuff. um, I mean, mesoscale, there's like all kinds of research. Social science. Yeah, social science. So I feel like basically whatever area of like um, meteorology you're interested in, you're probably going to find someone doing that kind of research, or even if you know you just want to talk to them about it, not necessarily do research. There's just a lot of different stuff going on here.
3: Going to Oklahoma at the bigger school and arguably the biggest meteorology program in the nation, um, was that intimidating in any way?
1: I think it was exciting. Like I was really excited for it. And that's one of the reasons why I think I went, because I knew they were, you know, one of the top schools in the nation for meteorology. I had kind of personal ties to the school because my dad went to OU as well. Um, And also they're kind of, you know, right in the middle of Tornado Alley. And I knew they did a lot of research on severe storms and severe weather. And that's kind of was my draw. So I guess I was so excited about the severe (laughs) weather. I didn't really think about how big the program was.
2: Yeah, I remember I... Was not intimidated before I got here, really. But I think once you get into the program, it can be intimidating. I remember for me at least, there were, and there are every year, a lot of freshmen who come in really mm-hmm. excited, which is great. But I really didn't know anything about weather. And so it's very like an odd experience to come into a bunch of students having, you know, a lot of background information and background knowledge, which is great. But I remember that was kind of intimidating. But other than that,
0: I'm curious. Um when you guys were trying to decide, was Oklahoma your only choice or did you go to other schools and visit? Um, and if so, what kind of lured you in? I know um, the, the National Weather Center there, you know, just pristine and pretty cool place to be if you're a weather nerd. So uh, what kind of lured you or made that final decision to choose OU?
2: Yeah, so I toured and applied to, I think, Western Illinois University, which is pretty close to where I grew up, uh, Texas a and wow. and then uh, KU. Um, and so I think I just really knew like when I visited the campus, I knew that I was like, this is a really cool place. I was like, this feels, <laughs> you know, it feels like a good place to be. The people I met with in the, the meteorology department were really enthusiastic, which was a difference from some other meteorology departments I met with. Um, but yeah, and then I guess the other thing was just like all of the opportunities here which I probably didn't necessarily realize when I, you know, was applying and decided to go to OU, but just like, there's so many research opportunities. And like you said, the national weather center has so many different like weather entities within it. Um, I think I, you know, had a vague grasp of that coming in, but that was definitely a big factor too.
1: Yeah. And I knew a current, well, back then she was a sophomore or junior. And she gave me like a special tour of like the weather center and the campus that was very tailored to like meteorology students. And she gave me a lot of insight into like these extra buildings around the weather center that, you know, has like um, different forecasts, little like, you know, spin-off offices and like, you know, weather news that works really closely with like Japan offices. And so there's a lot of like collaboration. In fact, where I work now is um, the radar innovation lab, which is right across the street. Um, and they do a lot of like um, radar research and stuff like that. So there's so many different opportunities within the building and also really close outside the building as well. And so hearing about that, I was like, well, this is a really great job, um, like opportunity, you know, kind of really easy tie into like a potential job after undergrad. Cause she also told me they I typically hire undergrads at OU, which is really great. So.
5: <laughs> so
3: as you progress through your freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior years at OU, um, I'm sure mentors played a huge role in your success. Can you talk a little bit about how you found mentors for yourself um, and, and just how they helped you, not just in the undergrad process, but as you move towards graduate oh, and, and now a, a PhD program?
2: Yeah, I remember in our first like real meteorology class, um, I think it was back then called Intro to Meteorology One, but um, I. <laughs> I remember going to office hours a lot because I had like zero confidence in anything I was doing. I was like, I want to like pass this class and like do well. So I was like always in that professor's office hours. I think it was like every single week. I thought she was going to get sick of me, but um, I got to know her really well. And I think she could tell that like, I didn't come in necessarily with like a career goal and like a long-term goal of what I wanted to do in meteorology. And so After that class was over, she had an undergraduate, like, research opportunity open up, Um, and so I was able to, like, continue working with her after that, Um, and that was super great. She also, I mean, encouraged me and, like, the rest of our class to apply for, like, the Hollings program and different scholarships like that, so I'm really glad I went to those office hours all that (laughs) time, or else I don't know, you know, if I would have as easily gotten, like, an opportunity like that, so that was super helpful for me.
5: What made you decide to go to grad school? What took you from, uh, you know, going to setting setting foot on campus at OU to, hey, I've got my bachelor's degree, or I'm about to have my bachelor's degree to, at least in Emily's case, relationships between LIDAR, aerosol extinction, BAT scatter coefficients, and CCA number <laughs> concentrations during the NASA Oracles campaigns. <laughs> go
2: ahead. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. um, I think... I mean, honestly, when I came into undergrad, I was like, I want to be done in four years. I was like, I don't want to go to grad school. I don't want to do research. I think that's honestly just because the thought of that really scared me and I didn't really know what that meant. Um, And so getting those research opportunities during undergrad, I was like, this is really interesting. Like, I could see myself continuing to do this. Um, I wasn't um, super enthusiastic and like really wanting to go towards like the broadcasting route. Oh, no, I guess forecasting broadcast. I didn't really want to do that, but I knew that I really enjoyed research. And so honestly, the whole process of like applying for grad schools is just kind of a whirlwind um, that <laughs> kind of happened really last minute, honestly, for me. But um, I think it was really those opportunities uh, during grad school where I was like, I really enjoy research and I could see myself like continuing to do this in the future.
1: Yeah, my story is very similar because I came from a community college to start with just to save money. And so it took me six years to get my bachelor's. So by the time I got to my senior year, I'm like, I'm extra done. I don't want to do anything else. (laughs) Yeah, I can
5: relate. It took me nine years to go from high school graduate to bachelor's degree.
1: Yeah, and I really appreciate being able to go to two different institutions and meet lots of different professors and make those connections. But by the end, you're definitely experiencing some burnout. And I definitely was. But what drove me to grad school was doing that undergraduate research, I realized I love that process of just discovery and kind of that interaction between like people and researchers. Like, I don't know, you also get to interact with like other students. So it's kind of like this almost, not weird, but like, it's like, it's a very unique dynamic. You know, it's kind of like a modern day, like apprenticeship almost. So you get really, really close with your advisor and also your other coworkers and other students. And eventually there's kind of like a hierarchy, like you have your advisor, your grad students and your undergrads. And even as being a grad student, you get to be mentors to the undergrads and I just really liked that dynamic and I was really drawn to that. So it was still a last minute decision. I remember we were both in like the HM of the weather center, like within like November trying to study for our GRE and everything and get that sent in. But um, it was the undergrad research experience. And then just kind of the dynamic with your advisor that really drew me in.
0: So being at OU, um, I mean, you've got to have some some storm chasing stories, right? I mean, I mean, there's storms everywhere. Even if you just go up on the observation deck and just kind of look out at, at what's around. I mean, any fun or any exciting uh, storm chases that you guys have been on?
2: So honestly, you see a lot just even by being in Norman. It just kind of comes to you. That's it seems true. like
1: I think there was one in 2017. One semester, there was a small tornado that went along highway nine right south of the weather center Mm -hmm. and where we were in the weather center because usually a lot of meteorologists go to the weather center on the first floor like a lot of students whenever there's severe weather because one two of the classrooms serve as bomb shelters slash storm shelters Mm -hmm. so a lot of people go there but then they have like these big screens and people just kind of like share their screen everyone's watching radar everyone's had like different you know nws chat discussions (laughs) up so it's kind of like a mini story (laughs) party It really is. It's like a sleepover storm party in like a classroom. So it's kind of a fun time. Yeah. I'm going back.
4: I'm going back to 10 years ago me and I'm telling I'm telling myself that there is a much more fun way to do college.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think we need to pack up and go to Norman next time. There's some storms out there. That sounds fun.
1: Yeah. Just bring some pizza or something and, you know, we'll let you in.
0: (laughs) Rachel, I feel like uh, Evan and I were out with with when you were out with tours because we were out in kansas the first week of june i believe
2: yeah, yeah. We, we
3: must have just missed i think by that first week of june we were burning out and heading towards colorado and snow
0: yeah yeah we, we
3: were in the snow on june 3rd
0: that's true that's true yeah we were kind of in the same area
5: i i want to ask rachel a question since she's a radar geek um aside from phased array what's the next big thing coming in radar
1: um, I mean, I'm partial to phased array. That's my favorite of the upcoming radars because I do um, research with tornado debris signatures. That was my master's thesis. So the idea of a polar metric phased array re- mobile radar just speaks to my heart. Um, <laughs> so that's my favorite thing. But I do have a colleague who's working on some bistatic radar. So it's a passive radar. Um, so for those who don't know, a radar is something that, you know, shoots out in electromagnetic waves. It bounces off of something. It comes back and then you interpret that signal that you give back. A passive radar is something that just receives a signal. So this is something that can be used to fill potential gaps in radar coverage in a cheap way. That way you can get some extra information, especially in like areas like the Southeast, where you have a lot of mountains that perhaps don't give you that low level coverage that you need. So I'd say that's probably the next big thing, but it's still very early in development. But again, phase-array radar is my <laughs> favorite thing because we were having the ARC mobile phase-array radars coming out, the Pair and the Horus ones at C band and ones at S band. So I'm very excited to be working with those in the future.
5: <laughs> yeah, sounds good. And and in the Carolinas here, we'd be very interested in the biostatic yeah. radar just because uh, we have such a big gap here. It'd be nice to be able to fill that gap cheaply.
0: Yeah, I was going to say we'll go ahead and volunteer. You know, we'll we'll be that's your right. Anytime you want to yeah. do some
5: research here, yeah, we we got some barbecue and shrimp and grits for you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rachel, you started with you get
3: to see a lot of cool weather. And I think that in and of itself is enough to draw any MET student in. Um, and then all those other reasons on top is just the icing on the cake. Um, so OU is certainly a wonderful school. We appreciate y'all sharing your experience uh, and telling us as well as our listeners a little bit about uh, the life of a student going from high school all the way up through grad school. Um
0: well, ladies, we appreciate uh, your time. Rachel and Emily, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we appreciate all that you've done in this research, and we want to wish you the best of luck as school's about to kick off for the fall <laughs> semester. You. And uh, anytime you have any new research or anything uh, you want to talk about, let us know. We'd love to have you back on the show. Yeah, thank sure, so thanks,
1: Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs>
0: no problem. And, and thank you all for watching the Carolina Weather Group. We'll see you soon.